Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. What's going on, people? Welcome to Pain Points, proudly brought to you by the SB Nation Podcast Network and the Tainus Hoopers family. As usual, I'm your host, Jake Painting. You can find me on Twitter over at Jake Painting. Uh, today, I'm here with Jack Borman, Tainus Hoopers contributor, friend of the podcast. What's going on, Jack? Not much, man. Just, just counting down the days until until Timberwolves basketball is back and, and just excited for, um, for training camp to get going um, tomorrow which is Sunday, as so we're recording this on Saturday. So how, how are things down under? Yeah, yeah, pretty good down here. Um, same same thing, really, just waiting for, for basketball to be back. We're slowly crawling towards the finish line of this, this long marathon. Um, but, yeah, almost there now, training camp. We, we've had a few media availabilities over the last few days. You did Russell and I did Town, so it's, it's good to be – you know, getting some access and, and the players are back in Minnesota and camp's about to start, like, well, the team section of training camp. So everything's ramping back up. Um, today, we're going to talk about lineups. Uh, it's been kind of the, the talking point, I guess, around Timberwolves' world at the moment. It's There's a lot of different lineup combinations and, and, and players who deserve minutes who might not get as many as we think or might get more than we think. So... We're going to have some fun with it today. We're, we're going to go through our starters, our, our closing lineups, and then just some, some weird, funky lineups that, that we want to see get minutes as well. So let's get straight into it, Jack. Who We're going to go with who we, we want to start, not who we think will start. I think we both have a, have a fairly... I think we both think that the, the actual stars will probably be D'Angelo Russell... Uh, Malik Beasley, Josh Okoji, Juancho Hernan-Gomez, and Carl Anthony Towns. Um, that's obviously not set in stone, but but that's who we think it's going to be. Uh, we're going to go with who we want to see starting. So, so Jack, um, let me get your starters first, and, and then we'll go from there. Yeah, so uh, who who I kind of want to start um, is I want to see, you know, Russell start at the one, obviously. Um because because I think we both agree that that Rubio is not going to start. That Rubio is going to kind of come off the bench. We've heard we've heard Ryan Saunders talk about um, and, and Gerson Rosas talk about kind of the Houston philosophy that they had with with uh, you know the whole James Harden and Chris Paul backcourt with with being able to have you know a really solid playmaker out on the floor for for forty eight minutes. Um, so I think Rubio is going to come off the bench. So I'll have Russell at the one, and then Beasley at the two, um, and then I I I want Akogi to start at the three. Uh, or or even to start at the four and have Edwards start at the three, um, just because I'm not I'm not a big Wancho guy, but because I think that they're absolutely going to go with Wancho, I'll leave Wancho in there at the four, um, and then have Cat at Cat at the five. Um, I just think that you know if you have Edwards out there right away, uh, he he would probably have to guard the best opposing wing, 
um, or perimeter player. And I just think that that would be really tough for him to do, I think, kind of right away. Um, and so with, with having Josh out there, I think that, you know, Josh can kind of check whoever, you know, the, the best scorer or perimeter player is um, for, the, for the other team. And then, you know, have Anthony come in right away and, um, you know, after th- four or five minutes, whatever it is for, for Wancho um, and, and slide a Kogi up to the four. So those are who I want for my starters. Um, obviously, you know, I, I, I don't think that's necessarily uh, how it's going to happen because I do think they end up starting Edwards, but, but we'll see what happens. Yeah, well, well, I'm I'm kind of the opposite. I think that uh, I just want to lean into the offense straight away. Like I want to go Russell Beasley, Edwards, Layman as the four. If I was uh, choosing for myself, just because I think that he adds a little bit more um, defensive versatility, and then Towns obviously at the five. So that makes yeah, sense. I, I just I, I want to lean into the offense. I want to come out the gates and just punch the opposition in the face with offense, like. That, that lineup has so much shooting, cutting, athleticism that, that there's no way in my mind that, that Russell Beasley, Edwards, Lehman, Towns, uh, five man unit doesn't store pretty heavily. Um, I, I posted this on Twitter yesterday, but I'll say it here again. 12 teams have missed the playoffs who were top 10 in offensive rating in the last 10 years, which is just over one a year. So that's kind of, uh, not rare necessarily, but only two teams have missed um, the playoffs while being a top five offense in the last 10 years. And as much as this team needs to compete defensively, I think that's that's a given. Um, I think they need to wield their weapons, which means I think they just need to try and drag teams into a gunfight and win that gunfight with their offensive firepower. Um, and I think this lineup kind of puts the right foot forward on that front right out of the gate. Like, and then, And then I think you adjust, like you said with... With Edwards coming on for a Cody, I think I'm kind of the opposite there, where I think you just adjust accordingly for defensive. If Edwards and Beasley are having an especially bad night on that end, um, you hook them for a Cody, you hook them for Culver. Um, you know, if, if Lehman's not providing the shooting you need uh, in the five-out offense with Towns, then, then you get Hernan Gomez in, and then you know you can get Russell out for Rubio or Towns out for for Ed Davis or Hollis Jefferson. You can kind of, I think you can. You can slot those defensive-minded guys in where the game dictates, rather than kind of starting with a Cody who who I'm a big fan of, and and you know everyone who listens to this podcast knows I'm a big Josh Cody guy. But I think I think on the on the odd night where where those five offensive-minded starters are holding holding on and holding their own defensively, like you you might just win that game in the in the, in the opening ten minutes. Yeah, no, I think that that makes a lot of sense. I think for me, the way that I approach it and the way that I think about it is that, um, you know, I, I really think that the Wolves need to play with a little bit more continuity. Um, right. And I know last year was just a complete rotating door of uh, different guys that were in um, and on the floor. And the Wolves also just had about a million different lineup combinations that played together last year. And <laughs> yeah. so um, I, I think that being able to start a Kogi and have – Edwards come off the bench at least initially um, can allow for the bench to have a little bit more offensive firepower. I think. I think if if you go with the if you go with that really fun five, which I mean for all, I mean I I really want to see that five play a lot of minutes together. Um, in Russell Beasley, Edwards, uh, Hernan Gomez, and in, in Towns or Layman in Towns, whichever one. Um, you know, I want to see that that lineup play a lot of minutes together, but at the same time, then you know that really leaves you with, you know, your bench lineup is really Rubio, Akogi, 
uh, Culver and then either Lehman or Wancho and then either Ed Davis or, or Nas Reed, depending on you know how how the the backup five position is going to roll out. And, and there's just not a lot of offense there. And and I think that that being able to space it out a little bit and kind of overlap the lineups, um, you know, by two and three minutes just to get you know guys like Beasley or or Edwards um, or hell even D'Angelo Russell. Um, you know, minutes with that bench group, I think that the team's just going to be able to kind of stay in more of a rhythm offensively for extended periods of time, no matter who's out on the floor, whether it's the kind of the starting crew or, or more guys from the bench unit. Um, and I, I just think that the Wolves need to be more balanced uh, rather than just going all in with offense and then trying to go all in on defense with the bench just because I think that you need to have guys that can score the ball out on the floor at all times and and I think the Wolves are are you know uniquely deep kind of on the wing in the sense <laughs> yeah. that or at least in in recent Timberwolves history um you know I think that and they'd be wise to kind of at least space that out um at least for for the first three quarters of the game and then once you get uh kind of into the closing lineup I think then you kind of have to start to have a different conversation yeah, well, that that's my that's my thing with this is if you're going to run that that all out offensive lineup like you just suggested, you need Ryan Saunders is going to have a lot of uh, responsibility and pressure on him to to really get the rotations right because you can't you can't have hockey subs you know with with five offensive guys and five you know more defensive minded guys and guys who can't really create their own shot like you know the bench would be in, in this scenario I guess. You know Rubio, Akogi, Culver, Hernan Gomez, and you know Davis or Reed. Like you don't want that five in there very often. So I think if you're going to start with that that offense heavy lineup, you need to you need to probably hook Beasley early, or you need to hook Edwards early. Um, right. Like you said, even Russell and, and get Rubio on, and then you need to bring them guys back in and, and kind of just mix it in with the bench lineup. You need to be able to sprinkle those offensive talents in at all times you need at least I think one or two on the court like one or two of Russell Beasley Edwards Towns I think they all always need to be on the court um so yeah if you are if if my you know wish I guess came true you would need it would be a lot of responsibility on Saunders to, to really get the rotations right and be able to take guys off and put other guys back on when when it calls for it because you don't want to end up with with that the the bench line up on for five to eight minute stretches because that that's the game gone right there. Yeah, no, and I think that makes a lot of sense. I think kind of the biggest the biggest theme from you know from what we've just been saying is that um, you know there needs to be a lot of overlap and, and there can't be a, a very distinguished. This is the starting five and this is the bench five. I think it kind of needs to be you know either three or four different pools of people. Where it's like, all right, these are the guys that are playing pretty much solely with starters. Maybe that's like Towns and Russell, maybe, or Towns and Beasley. And then you have kind of the the guys who are pretty much only playing with bench guys, and that's like the Ed Davis or the Jarrett Culver. Um, yeah. Or like, uh, you know, or... You know, who knows? Maybe it, maybe it's Lehman or maybe it's, you know, Rondé Hollis-Jefferson if he ends up getting a roster spot. Um, but I think that's kind of the way that they're going to approach it. Um, and in the preseason, I think we're going to see a ton of different lineups because, you know, I think that last year we saw a lot of small sample sizes with interesting things. Um, and I think it's going to be really interesting to kind of get a, get a more enhanced, you know, solid sample of – 
of some of these different lineups that we've seen. And, and some of the first ones that come to my mind are, okay, what does Jarrett Culver look like with Carl Anthony Towns? Yeah. Because those two played well together. Um, and Culver was much, much better when Towns was on the floor. Um, especially in two when Josh Kogi was on the floor, they were very, very good. Um, and then the other one is D'Angelo Russell playing with another guard in the backcourt. Uh, D'Angelo Russell was tremendous with with Jordan McLaughlin last year, um, and, and I hope J Max back. You know, I think it's kind of fishy that he hasn't signed a signed a, a two way or you know been signed to to that fifteen or signed at least to a training camp deal yet. Um, right. But yeah, those those are some things that, that I'll be watching for. Yeah, and, and like you said, I think this team needs continuity. Uh, I think it desperately needs it, but I also won't be surprised if Ryan Saunders trots out three different starting lineups to for the preseason games. Uh, I think they've got Memphis twice and Dallas in the last game, if I'm if I'm correct. Yep, I um, think they go to Dallas for the last. game. Yeah, so you know they're they're both pretty good Western Conference teams, kind of decent litmus test. I know that it's obviously preseason, but I think you'll see. Some teams, especially like Memphis, who didn't play playoffs, I think you'll see them uh, play play their starters a bit more heavily than you would in a normal preseason just because they obviously haven't played for a while. They need to ramp back up pretty quickly. Um, but yeah, I, I won't be surprised if Saunders is really tinkering around with things in the preseason. I'm, I'm really excited to see what that first lineup is. Um, and, and I think that'll probably answer some of our questions because that'll obviously be the the one that's in the front of his mind the the first starting lineup but yeah I won't be surprised if he, if he, even there's three games you might see Rubio start a game and 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 Beasley come off the bench or definitely I think Edwards and Okoge might might flip flop between uh starters and bench role just just in those games and just kind of see what works a little bit it's obviously not going to be um the perfect indication and you can never know what's going to happen as you head into to the regular season but I think the preseason is going to be really important for that starting lineup and just to to play around with it a little bit. Um, but yeah, what what do you think now that we've kind of pivoted from the starting lineup? I think the more important thing is the closing lineup and and the rotation in general is more important. But who do you see closing games? You know, I think there'll be a lot of games with Minnesota where it's quite close because they can they can always hang in there offensively. I think so. I think we will see a lot of close games this year. Who who's that finishing that closing lineup in those close games for you? Yeah, so despite him not starting, uh, I think it would be pretty ridiculous if Ricky Rubio wasn't out there closing the end of games. You know, I think you know on Thursday, D'Angelo Russell was talking about how you know D, uh, how Ricky Rubio just makes the game so much easier for um, for other guys he's around. He referenced Donovan Mitchell, he re- referenced Devin Booker, and he and he also referenced Anthony Edwards, and that you know. For for young players, you know, towards the end of games, they can just make the game so much more difficult for themselves. And having a guy like Rubio out there, who's a, a very steady hand, really experienced veteran player, um, to just kind of calm all the tensions and and just kind of you know give off this this even keeled demeanor for for the whole entire you know lineup that's out there, I think is going to be great. So so he'll start. I think he'll excuse me. He'll he'll be at the one in the closing lineup, Ricky Rubio will be. Uh, and then he'll be flanked by Russell and Beasley, I think, uh, on the wing. And then uh, I, I really think Josh Okogie is going to close at the four. Um, yeah. I think that they, they're obviously going to need another really strong perimeter defender um, or a really just kind of versatile defender that can either roam, um, kind of play that Draymond Green kind of free safety role, or, um, you know, or just kind of go 
getting somebody's jock on on the perimeter um, and be able to switch with with someone like Malik Beasley, um, and then you know obviously just be able to to kind of provide some some supplemental defensive help on the back line for for someone like Cat. I think uh, is, is yeah. going to be big and, and and something that I think that closing lineup would need. Yeah. So do you think that do you think that Beasley or uh, Edwards, you know, like, do you think Beasley or Edwards get the nod in that in that closing lineup, or do you think that a Cody comes in for both of those and you kind of play, you know, and then Gomez or or Lehman or one of those guys? Like, do you think a Cody is the four in that closing lineup, or yep? And do you, yep. do you play I, I him? Think I would have a Kogi at the four. And do you play him with Edwards and Beasley, or uh, obviously not? You know, do you play Beasley or Edwards? Is the question, I guess, at the three in that in that scenario. Yeah, I think right away they're definitely not going to close with Edwards. Um, yeah. I, I think they very well could in the preseason um, just to try and get him some exposure to kind of how the end of games work with, you know, a, a much quicker game in the NBA. But um, I th- And I think the things that you worry about with Edwards don't really line up immediately to clutch time minutes. Like you don't want him taking bad shots in the clutch. You don't want him letting someone blow by them, like especially as a rookie who can – who can get falling down asleep off ball? Yeah, 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 and and you know guys like Beasley and Russell who ha- have those same issues too. That they're veterans, well, you know, kind of veterans in the league now, and um, they can deal with that a little bit better and deal with the criticism that comes with that rather than Edwards, who probably um gets blasted in the media or gets you know a bad reputation for for being a a bad defender if you kind of throw him into the fire straight away and he just burns up. Yeah, and I think that they're going to do everything they can to protect him early on, uh, yeah. solely solely because um, you know you don't want to kill a kid's confidence. Um, and, and and it's and it seems as though he's he's coming into this season extremely confident in his abilities, and that he has a really strong desire to kind of not necessarily prove people wrong, but prove that he's legit, if that makes sense. And I think yeah. that. You know he's he's going to have to watch at the end of games um, unless he's just lighting it up and he's been on fire. Like it wouldn't surprise me if like Beasley's playing poorly and Edwards has been awesome if they leave Edwards in or something like that. But but I think that the fact that Rubio, Russell, Akogi, and Towns, I think those four, I I, I am kind of all in and, and rock solid on those guys closing. Um, just because at the end of game when the game slows down, like yeah, you need offense, but at the same time, like you have. Russell and Towns, and that's going to be that's going to almost get you a guaranteed good luck with those two running a pick and roll, and then having someone like you know, well, you have Rubio, you have Rubio in there as well. Like Rubio is a supreme passer and a guy who can get Cat a pick and roll, you know, bucket better than pretty much anyone in the league. Like if you can, you can survive for five to ten minutes off a steady dose of pick and rolls. With Cat and Russell, or, yeah. or Rubio, I mean, or Rubio and Cat, and isolations with Russell as well, and isolations with Cat. Like you're completely right about that. That, you, that in those closing lineups and throughout the game, like Cat, Russell, Cat and Russell can get you buckets, even when the even if the floor is not spaced, you know, to the premium level, or the five out system's not working as well as maybe it can. Um, them guys can always get you a bucket, and it might not be the best way to run a full game, obviously. Like, you want shooters around those guys and you want uh, the system in place where you can can run that five-out system. But in the end of, at the end of the game, I think you can have a Koji on. You can have Rondé Hollis-Jefferson on. Like, I think you can survive with those when you when you really need to stop and that's the end of the game. Yeah, and I think it's really just going to... I think it's really just going to... 
depend too on on what other guys are out there. Like for instance, like in the in the one game <laughs> that we that we saw with Cat and and, and D'Lo in Toronto, like Toronto just ran one four pick and roll and just destroyed D'Angelo Russell in the fourth quarter yeah. of that game. Like yeah. if Towns when, when you have a guy like Siakam who can uh, who can run the pick and roll from the four as a ball handler. Like and you, you can invert the pick and roll and run four one pick and roll or one four and really isolate D'Lo. Like that's that's when you need the defense there. And I think you could do the same thing with Towns and Russell. I think you could do a one five pick and roll or, or have a Kogi be as or have a Kogi as as the role man. Um, and I'll get into that a little bit later with another lineup that I have. But uh, but my main point is that I don't think you need more offense at the end of games. I think you need like I let me say this like if you have Rubio, Russell, and Towns out there. I think that for sure one of those other guys needs to be a defensive-minded player. Yeah. Because with Rubio, Russell, and Towns, those three on their own are enough to get you a good shot almost every time down the floor if you're really slowing the game down and playing half-court offense. And that um, then your fourth player is probably used uh, as a guy who can spot up as well. So that's probably either... Beasley or Edwards, and then obviously that leaves your defensive guy with with Kogi. So, what, what do you have for a closing lineup? Uh yeah, I'm completely with you. I think I okay. think I think Russell and Rubio need to start. Like Rubio is clearly in the top five players on this team. You know, probably in my opinion, he's the third best player on the team. Um, and I think you 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 pro- I probably have Beasley out there just as another shooter, and then I have a Kogi at the four and Towns at the five. Um, I think that you can survive against most teams with a Cody at the four. I don't think teams are going to go out of their way to, to post him up. And I think that he's strong enough and long enough to guard most fours. Obviously, if, you, if you're playing a, a really big team, then you might have to, to switch that up and bring a Cody down, um, take Beasley off and play, you know, and then Gomez or, or Hollis Jefferson or maybe even Ed Davis. But, but I completely agree on all fronts with what you were saying is that at the end of the game, you, you need the defense. All game, you have the chance to to blow a team away with the offense. And if that hasn't worked, and it's still you know a really close game, and you still need to grind out two or three minutes to to finish the game, um, I think that you need that defender in there. And, and at times, I think that you'll even need two defenders. And I'll get into that in a second. But I think that there'll be times where maybe a Cody and Hollis Jefferson play, or a Cody and Culver play at the end of a game, just because, like we said. Um, you can you can scrape by offensively pretty well with with Russell, uh, Rubio, and Towns. So yeah, I'm I'm in complete agreement with you. You ready? Showtime on May third. Summer starts with the Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Awesome. Um, so, so Jimmy, Jimmy, now, now that we've got them out of the way, they're the, they're the two lineups for, for both of us that I think will, will probably fo- feature the most. Um, but give me a weird one. Let's get a bit funky with it. What, what's another lineup that you, that you see getting minutes this season and you want, and you think will be fun? Um, so I'm going to start with, uh, my playmaking all over the place lineup is, is what I called it. Um, and so, 
This lineup has Rubio at the one, Russell at the two, Akogi at the three, Jared Vanderbilt at the four, and Cat at the five. I love it. And, and so someone might look at this and say, okay, that's not enough shooting. What's going on? Um, Rubio shot 37% on threes over his last three years on, on uh, more than 600 attempts. And then we all obviously know how, how good a shooters Russell and Towns are. So you've got three very competent shooters out there. And then one that I think is really interesting is is doing like a, a four three pick and roll with Jared Vanderbilt handling the ball and Josh Kogi coming up as a roll man. Um, I, I think would be really, really interesting. Uh, just because if we can get Jared Vanderbilt going downhill to the rim, uh, he's a very capable playmaker off the dribble. Um, and did that a decent amount in Iowa this past season. Uh, and, and I'm sure that he would love to kick it out to, you know, to, to D'Angelo Russell or Carl Anthony Towns in the wing. Um, and, and even if he kicks it out to Ricky Rubio, you know, Ricky Rubio is an, an incredibly smart player in terms of knowing when to attack a closeout to play make, attack a closeout to score, or just shoot an open shot. Um, and, and I think being able to kind of unlock a little bit of Jared Vanderbilt's abilities would be really cool. Um, or even if you wanted to use, you know, Rubio and, and Vanderbilt or, or Russell and Vanderbilt in a, in a pick and roll. Hell, you could use Vanderbilt and Cat. Um, <laughs> I mean, you, you could just run a pick and roll with pretty much any combination of those guys, five guys on the floor, and and really put a lot of pressure on the defense. Um, and I think just being able to throw a ton of different looks at defenses uh, on a nightly basis is going to be really important and is something that I think the Timberwolves are, are positioned to do. Um, and, and I'm just really excited to see how creative Gerson or how creative really Gerson Rosas lets Ryan Saunders be with the lineups and, and the different ways that he, he wants to play because I think, you know, Ryan got dealt a pretty shitty hand last year in terms of the guys that he had to work with. Yeah, um, for sure. And this, and this year he, he's got, you know, he's got a bunch of different, moves that he can make with, with the cards that he's got in his hand. And, um, and, you know, I'm just excited to, to kind of see him, you know, get creative and, and come up with, with, you know, some unique lineups that, that are going to be fun. And so that was probably my most unique one in terms of kind of it being a little out there and, and more outside the box, but. Yeah. And that, that's fascinating to me. Like, just as you were saying that I can, I was kind of, you know, I think you articulated it really well. And I think I was kind of just envisioning that, that Culver and uh, that Vanderbilt Culver, uh, sorry, Vanderbilt Akogi pick and roll. And I think the first thing that, that I thought is it immediately takes away the issue that, that, that Akogi can't shoot. Um, and, and it uses him getting him downhill towards the rim before you even, you know, mention the fact that, that Vanderbilt is, is a really good passer for a big man. And I was just envisioning the, the towns in the corner. Well, Towns kind of coming off a back cut and getting a little dump off pass in, in, in the dunker spot. Um, I have said this before, and I'm a strong advocate of of getting Towns using Towns like a shooter, like not just a big man shooter, not just as a pick and pop guy, just as a you know JJ Redick. Like I want to see Towns running off screens. Obviously, he's not as fast and as agile as as Redick and and Duncan Robinson and guys like that. But I want to see Towns running off multiple picks. Uh, and one way to do that is obviously, you know, you get D'Angelo Russell in and he can take the ball out of Towns' hands. But another way is just to get funky with it, like you said. Like, get Vanderbilt handling the ball. Obviously not for 
Like obviously, he's not going to bring the ball up the court and 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 run offense every play. But but as a se- on a second side pick and roll, you know, with with a Cody as a screener, you've you've kind of junked up the game like you always like to say. Um, and you you've you've turned the defense into a little bit of scramble mode. All of a sudden, you know, Brooke Lopez is chasing Carl Anthony Towns off two pin downs, and Jared Vanderbilt builds hitting him and off a driving kick. Um, like yeah, that's I, fun. That's fun, I, man. Yeah, and the, and the other one that I think too is like we, the Timberwolves were in elevator doors a decent amount for Cat, um, yeah. where Cat would set kind of a decoy screen or a pin down for somebody and then kind of hide behind elevator doors, um, and and then you know we'd open it up and close it. And I think if you used a Kogi and Vanderbilt as the elevator doors, um, you know with Rubio handling the ball or, or Russell handling the ball or something like that. Um, you know, if the defense just cheats and, you know, tries to fly up and switch on to cat uh, and get either through the doors or around the doors, um, I mean, the, the, the roll down to the rim is going to be there all day long. Um, and, and so a Kogi and Vanderbilt are two guys that uh, obviously are, are really, really good, uh, good rolling to the rim and finishing around the rim. Uh, either off of cuts or off of off of rolls and stuff like that. So, uh, so I'm excited to see, see those two, um, just kind of see how the, how they're used considering the different things that they showed last year and, uh, and just kind of how they've developed in, in the last, probably, I don't know, 18 months or so. Yeah. So, so the one that I had was, uh, I kind of mentioned it briefly just just a minute ago, and it's it's similar to the to our closing lineup, so it's not it's not quite as out there. I do have one more after this, but uh, it's it's more the, it's the defense is the best offense kind of lineup, and it's it's Ruby at the one, Russell at the two, and then Akodi at the three, Hollis Jefferson at the four, and Anthony Towns at the five. I think that. It's obviously not going to be the starters. I don't even think that Hollis Jefferson, you know, who's on a non-guaranteed training camp deal, um, will probably be closing too many games. But it's a five-man unit that I think will certainly see minutes at times. I think like like we like we just panned out, like Rubio, Russell, and Towns, with them on the floor, you maintain offensive flexibility and efficiency no matter what. And then on the, I think on the other end, you actually have a chance to get some stops regularly, like... Rubio at the point of attack with 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 RHJ cleaning up for Towns' mistakes on the backside, or or you know Hollis Jefferson and Cody hounding ball handling wings. Uh, if you, if you manage to create an offense in that five that can store enough, um, then I think you can just turn Cody and Hollis Jefferson loose on defense and and hold on to a lead that you've built earlier through that offensive minded lineup that I, that I spoke about, or even peg back a lead that that the opposition has gained because you couldn't defend earlier in the game. Um, and I think then, I think off that lineup, you can kind of pivot, you know, any way you want. You can, you can take out Russell and put in Edwards. And then all of a sudden, you know, maybe, maybe you're just going with, with letting Edwards cook with Towns or, and letting Rubio kind of, um, set the table for those two. I think, I think even that's probably a bit more, more funky is take Russell out of that lineup and put Anthony Edwards in at the two. And run him with a Cody Hollis Jefferson Towns and Rubio. Um, I just think that that with Towns on the floor um, next to Hollis Jefferson, you might you can you can cover a lot of his mistakes. I, I'm if you can't tell, I, I'm really high on the Hollis Jefferson signing, and I think there's there's no way they should let him walk out of camp without a deal. Um, 
Yeah, and I, I think if you can, if you can, you know, pump that lineup out for five, ten minutes, give some, give some starters a rest, uh, then you you have a chance to to not just let a lead, a lead slip away and and maybe even get build on that lead. Yeah, no, I think that Hollis Jefferson is an interesting one. Um, but my, my thing is, is I'm just not entirely sure, like, is Hollis Jefferson, do you really think Hollis, the Wolves would play Hollis Jefferson over, um, Davis? O- over, oh, Layman. like, over a Jake Lehman or over a, a Wancho? Like, I'm not quite sure that they would be willing to do that, considering that Jake Lehman was really, really good when, when he was in last year. Um, and that obviously they just committed, you know, a three-year deal to Wancho. So, uh, yeah. It, I, I, my thing is, if if he's going to play, um, I think that it would it would probably be in one of a in like a funkier lineup. Yeah, and you're probably right. I think that I think that he's definitely down the pecking order right now. There's I don't think there's any way, even with a strong training camp from Hollis Jefferson that he's going to come in and, and take the spot of Lehman or certainly not Hernan Gomez on the depth chart, you know. So I think it's more of a pipe dream for me to, to have him playing with a starter-ish kind of lineup. Um, but I also think that like, like he was a great defender on a very, very good defensive team last season. And like I've got the numbers in front of me. I kind of put them on Twitter uh, yesterday, but like the the positions that he defended, um, the source is, is basketball index. This is from there. Um, so he spent 18.4% of his time guarding point guards, 23.6% of his time guarding shooting guards, 19.4% guarding small forwards, 21% guarding power forwards, and 17.6% guarding centers. And, and for a team like Minnesota that has such publicized, well-publicized issues defensively. I just think a guy who can, who literally pretty much split his minutes between all five positions, um, that's just so valuable. And I think if you can get him out there in a lineup that also has a Cody who we've already spoke about, we think he can guard at least one through four. Um, like that's some, some crazy versatility that you've got defensively. And, and like you said, I completely agree. I don't think that it is a lineup that you'll see with with Russell and Towns on the floor together, but if Hollis Jefferson's out there with a Cody in my mind, I think you actually have a chance to be to win games or to win minutes defensively rather than just survive enough and let your offense win. Yeah, no, I think that that that's right. I mean, I would rather play Hollis Jefferson over Wancho. Yeah, um, yeah. I'm not. I'd, I'm not I'd saying. It, I'm Hollis- not saying it from my personal opinion of like I don't think he's going to play. I think it's more of like trying to think of like what I think the team is going to do rather than, than what I'd want yeah. the team to do. Like, I, I think he would be awesome as like, maybe not necessarily the starting four, but as like the first four off the bench. Uh, but again, it just comes down to, you know, is that going to happen? So, yeah. And I think for him to start to get minutes, consistently it's going to require you know an injury or or something like that where he he is forced to play 20 minutes a night all of a sudden instead of you know maybe one game uh you know did not play coach's decision and then the next game he might get three or four minutes like if something happens a a covid case or 
what whatever it is, um, and Hollis Jefferson all of a sudden needs to play 20, 25 minutes, then I think after that maybe he might be the kind of guy who sticks in the lineup. A bit like J-Mac last year, how, you know, he, he only came back into the lineup because they had no other options, and by the end of the season he was uh, a must-have in that lineup, kind of. So, um, yeah, I completely agree. I think that Lehman and Wancho, it's, the, it's their spot to lose as as the starting four and the backup four, but... I think Hollis Jefferson will make a case for himself at some point during the season. Yeah, I, I mean, I hope so because he's, you know, he's a he's a guy that's been on some pretty damn good teams and had some interesting roles on some pretty damn good teams in Toronto. So, um, you know, and I, I think that I think the fifteenth roster spot probably comes down to, you know. Is J Mac willing to accept a qualifying or excuse me, is J Mac willing to play on another two way? Um, yeah. and I think, you know, two ways got expanded to like 60 games or something like that for this upcoming season. So you wouldn't have to worry too, too much about not having J Mac, but, um, or not having J Mac for like the full 72 game schedule. But, uh, yeah, I think it'll just be interesting to see, you know, how much, how much is going to change really once they get into camp. Like if Jalen Noel just shoots the hell out of the ball, like, does that mean that he's going to stay and that they're just going to not roll with not roll with uh McLaughlin in a third point guard or so it's just I'm just interested to see the kind of those types of things and, and see what happens but I think that the fact that want that excuse me that Hollis Jefferson was willing to come to Minnesota for a training camp deal when he probably could have gotten a training camp deal from another team um I, I think is is interesting as it relates to to what he may see in Minnesota yeah, and I think that means they've probably given him given him some sort of indication that the a spot, you right. know, in the rotation is there if he can go out and grab it, and that's maybe a bit different to what we've um, got in our minds that, that he's kind of on the outside looking in. Like maybe maybe that spot's wide open, and and they're going to really um, make Wancho earn that starting that starting spot. Like I think. Without a doubt, Wancho's going to play minutes and, you know, 20-plus at least. But but maybe they're going to, you know, really make Wancho, Lehman, Vanderbilt, you know, Hollis Jefferson really pit them against each other in, in training camp and, and see who comes out victorious. Yep, for sure. Uh, so do you have one more lineup for me? Yeah, so the other lineup that I kind of thought would, would be a lot of fun was just the Josh Akogi Chaos lineup, um, <laughs> which is – Putting Russell at the one, Beasley at the two, Edwards at the three, Akogi at the four, and Towns at the five. So you just have a bunch of dudes who are either athletic as hell, uh, can shoot it, uh, or, or obviously are just really, really good scorers. So I think that that's just a five-out lineup that would be, you know, loads of fun that I think would really just energize the whole entire team and kind of get everybody going and would one that I think would be a lot of fun if you know the wolves needed to turn to a spark and just kind of get get something going that that hasn't been there um you know if if they turn to it like towards the end of the first quarter that ends up being kind of the first lineup that they roll with bringing a guy off the bench or something like that I I just think it's one that uh you know you can do just about anything with that lineup both on offense and on defense. I think that, you know, hopefully Edwards would be able to switch with a Kogi um, if you need him to. And then, you know, hopefully Beasley, even if he's not there on defense, if he's just willing to compete and work really hard, and, you know, I think he is, 
I think from what he's from what I saw of Beasley last year, like I haven't gone back and watched all 14 games from like a defensive lens, but you know, he, he competed and he, he wants to be here and he wants to work his ass off and play his ass off on the floor. So I think that that would be one that, that would just be, uh, would just be so much fun to watch. Yeah. And I think that lineups, I think, in small doses, we're going to see lineups that let Edwards and Beasley be that guy for for a minute or two. Like, you yep, know, I, it, I completely and, agree. And I think I think especially with Edwards, like I don't think you you draft him one to completely, um, you know, put him in a room and and lock the door. Uh, obviously, we both agree they're not going to just completely let him loose and let him play thirty five minutes a game and give him the Andrew Wiggins rookie year treatment, which the teams should be too good for that. Not that not that I think they're going to be good, but I think there's too many options to just give free reign to Edwards. But I think you're definitely going to see two, three-minute periods where Edwards is the best scorer on the floor and he's running, he's getting high-picking rolls, he's, you know, pulling up for three, he's he's using that shot creation that he that he showed so much at Georgia and showing him that, that yeah, this, this is what you're going to be in the future if you play your cards right and... Like you said, I, I think he can switch with a Kogi. I'm a lot less worried about his on-ball defense. I think I, as, as I've gone back and watched a few more Georgia games again, um, his on-ball defense is pretty good. I mean, he reaches too much, and and sometimes he kind of just uh, expected help on the on the Georgia team. Like when he when he kind of shaded a, a guy to somewhere, and there was no help there, and that did make him look worse. Um, and, and that wasn't always his fault, and so, sometimes it was, but it wasn't always but but in general i think when like when he gets down in, in a stance and and really goes hard at it he's a really good um on ball defender and i think a pretty good switcher as well like he's pretty um aware for, for when to switch and and how to make a, a pretty seamless switch um off the ball just when when he's kind of just standing there and he's to keep a, keep his eyes on a on a cutter or on a guy who's going to come up and and set a screen um that's when he tends to fall asleep but i think in general you can if you put a good defender next to him like a Cody and ask them to to be guys who switch pretty regularly um i think that you can you can survive that and yeah i, I i'm higher on edwards than i was pre-draft now maybe that's just because we we drafted him and and i'm trying to look for the positives in in, in life but yeah, I think that Edwards can survive, and I think there'll be times where Edwards and Beasley get to cook as as first or second options, and I think that lineup that you said is maybe one of them. Um, yeah. So we'll, we'll we'll jump straight into my one. This one is is similar to yours, how not not as good, but I'm not even sure if this works at all. But it's I love it because it's just extremely chaotic, um, and that is Rubio at the one, Edwards at the two. Culver at the three, Layman at the four, and Ed Davis at the five. It, it's it's very much a bench unit. It's it's kind of the the hockey subs like we described before that you don't you don't want this this team in there for ten minutes at a time. But if you can scrape two or three minutes out of them when when Towns is in foul trouble or when when Russell's not there defensively at all, um, that that's where I see this lineup coming in. I think it's the only one that I've mentioned really that that features the Rubio and Edwards pairing exclusively without Towns and Russell there as well. Um, and, and obviously the Rubio-Edwards pairing has been discussed 
a lot in terms of mentorship and in terms of the way he Rubio brought along Mitchell and Devin Booker. Um, and I think he can do that same kind of thing for Culver as well, provided that, that Culver, Lehman and Ed Davis can all dive to the rim consistently as a cutter or as a, as a roller and pick and roll. Um, then I think it's a lineup that can work, you know, can straight by offensively, especially with Rubio being, being elite at, at feeding cutters and feeding rollers. And then it allows Edwards to do his thing. Like we just said, like at his heart, he's an isolation scorer and, and, and a difficult shot maker. And it's kind of the spacing might hurt him a little bit with that lineup, but it's kind of like the Georgia vibe. It gives me the, the vibe, the college vibe that he just played with, with the added bonuses of, I guess, NBA caliber uh, finishes at the rim and a passing savant next to him. And then defensively, I think it's pretty strong. Like, I think with Culver, with Culver, Lehman, Ed Davis, and Rubio out there, I think you can definitely survive defensively for, for three or four minutes and kind of just, just run athletically. Like, just get Rubio out on the break, get Ed Davis pulling down every rebound in sight, and then Rubio outlet, outlet passes to, to Edwards, Culver, and Lehman. Um, and I don't know. Yeah, I like, like that I said, five a lot. Yeah. I, li- I not, like the idea of that. I'm not sure how much it works, but I think it's fun. I think it's excitingly chaotic, like I said. like uh, l- The main thing is there's that last point I just mentioned where Ed Davis is an elite rebounder. Um, he always has been. He, he's never been a guy who's played big enough minutes to grab 13, 14 boards a night. But, you know, he was grabbing eight, nine boards in, in 23, 24 minutes a game, um, you know, within the last few years. So if you get him pulling down defensive rebounds and then uh, quickly getting it out to Rubio and just letting Edwards, Culver and Lehman run loose in transition, um, I think he can, can have some fun with that lineup. Yeah, no, I think I like that a lot. I, I like especially, you know, the idea of kind of having two two really smart veteran guys and and Rubio and Davis out on the floor and just to make sure that, that the team is organized on both ends at all times, I think would be really cool. Uh, I think they would also be, you know, you say that it would be really good for, for uh, Edwards. You know, I think that would almost be the best case scenario for Jarrett Culver. Yeah, um, who needs just, he and, and he needs a best case scenario because right now he he finds himself on the outside looking in in a lot of these lineups. Like he doesn't just slot into it like everyone else does. So he needs a lineup like that, I think, to to optimize him. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and, and I think the opportunities would be there for him to cut a ton. Um, but also, you know, with Rubio and Edwards, I think, I mean, and with Lehman, there's enough spacing in that where, you know, he could probably get some open, open looks, um, open looks from deep. And, you know, hopefully his shooting kind of continues on the upward trend that it, that it finished at last, you know, kind of after the trade deadline last season. Um, but, but we'll see what happens. Um, I think Culver's kind of the one guy, I think that we just like have no idea what's going to happen. Uh, in yeah. terms of who he's going to play with, how it's going to look, and and all that. So, but but I'm excited to see kind of how they how they feel they should they should best uh, best deploy him. Yeah. So so where we've got a bit of time left, so bef- let's get into that a little bit. Like, what do you? How do you see Culver's? I guess minute load at the moment. Like, what does he need to do for you to to become a guy who? who really cements himself in a guard wing rotation that right now is packed with depth, like like you said earlier, especially um, compared to Timberwolves' teams of the past. Like, 
do you see him really on the outside looking in Culver, or do you see him getting minutes because he was the sixth pick last year? Like, where do you see him? Yeah, so, uh, you know, I, I've kind of, you know, been wanting the, the Timberwolves to trade Derek Culver for a while, um, just because I think it's pretty clear that he does not fit the way the Timberwolves want to play, and I think the fact that, you know, he struggled so much with just his overall confidence last year, I think, was just tough. Um, and if he was in and out of the rotation for arguably the worst team in the NBA last year, um, I don't know why he deserves to be, you know, a constant in, in a rotation for what should be seemingly a much better team this year. Um, you know, I think, you know, I, I think Gers probably is unwilling to admit that he made a mistake with Culver last year and is probably going to want to keep uh, is probably going to want to keep Culver around um, and, and want him in the rotation. Um, but, you know, it really is all just going to depend on, you know, who he plays with. Like if he's going to be able to play with a playmaker that's going to be able to hit him when he cuts or, you know, other shooters so that he'll he'll be able to have open shots in a, in a spaced out floor or or that. So I think he'll probably – they'll probably find, you know, 12 to 15 minutes early on for him um, in that type of context. But I, I don't think I would be willing to give him – more than that right now unless you know there's some drastic change that he's had since since the season ended yeah I I think the point you made just there that he was one of the worst players on one of the worst teams in the league um I think that's a great point that, that he shouldn't be handed minutes just because he was a high pick last year and and I think I agree that he will get minutes and I think that um I think that he still has a chance to be a, a, a definitely a rotation player, if not, you know, a, a kind of good player. Um, but but like you said, you can't just give him minutes because he because of a reputation at Texas Tech two years ago. Like not not with the depth this team has now, not with the guys who have proven it in the league. Um, and and Edwards has the fresh reputation as a number one pick and a guy who I think um, most people would agree has just more raw talent and, and more of an NBA ready game than, than Culver. But but like you said, I think I think I think the other side of that is is do you give up on him straight away? Unless if you can trade him, I think that that's probably the option because then you can get something back for him. You know, he goes to another home, maybe this all works out well for both sides. But if you can't trade him, which at the moment it looks like they can't, they uh, there's been rumors all off-season that they've kind of been um, putting the feelers out for, for deals with him. But I think if you can't trade him, then can you give up on him and, and play him zero minutes? Um, it's hard because that, that's the other side of the fence from what I said before. Like He hasn't really earned those minutes, but how will he ever develop into the guy you picked a lot, you know, only 12 months ago? Um, how will he ever kind of develop into that guy if he plays no minutes? Um, maybe he just needs an extended spell in the G League. Like maybe, maybe Cola starts in the G League, and and I I would like that. And ha- yeah, I think that last year he probably definitely would have benefited from G League minutes, but this team was just so depleted and just lacked depth in general to to play their first round pick in the G League. But I think if you, right. maybe you get him, maybe you get him down there with with Jaden McDaniel's and with. I think Nas Reed as well. Like I don't think 
I think Nas Reed will drop out of the rotation most likely as well. So um, maybe you get him down there playing with with guys who are NBA caliber caliber players in the future, and maybe even Vanderbilt as well. Um, get them down, get some minutes together, and maybe he regains some of that confidence because that's the thing with him is the, is the confidence and the 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 struggles to get himself going when he's had a you know bad start to the game or when when a few things go wrong. But I, I just yeah, Culver's the most confusing um, aspect of this team for me. I just I don't know where to go with him. I don't know what they're going to do with him. And I think like pivoting back to the preseason, um, he might be the most interesting storyline for the preseason for me. Like if he gets twenty minutes in that in the first night when when all the starters play pretty decent minutes as well, then maybe we were wrong and we have to change our tune. But yeah, I, I'm not sure where to go with Culver. Yeah, I think the the one last note that I that I wanted to to touch touch on with Culver is like, are you willing to give minutes to Culver that comes away from Beasley, Edwards, or Kobe? Right. Yeah, yeah. That's, I would rather have all three uh, of those guys on the floor before I'd I'd have Culver on the floor. And and you and you can frankly, I'd rather have Layman on the floor than Culver too. Exactly, and you can pump out you know forty eight minutes at the shooting guard and forty eight minutes at the small forward position pretty comfortably. Without mentioning Culver's name, yeah, and the other, the other one other thing too that I want to mention about the G League is like, I think for his development it would be good for him to go to the G League, but I think if you go to the G League, like it totally sinks his value. Yeah, oh because yeah, because it's saying and, if and the if, Timberwolves view him as a G League player, then why should we even think about giving anything up for him? You know? Yeah, exactly. And if confidence, you know, if confidence issues are the problem with him. Like I don't know if sending him out of the league to to the lower leagues is something that's gonna uh, help with that, and, and I'm not sure if he has ever kind of experienced like that sort of adversity, especially since he's you know came through the ranks. He he wasn't a highly touted prospect, but since he started to blossom at Texas Tech, like it's a pretty big uh, punch in the guts to to be drafted sixth overall and then uh, a, a year later not even be able to play a single minute on a team that likely won't make the playoffs. So um, it, it's a slippery slope, I think, with him. And, and like we've said, I think trading him is the best option. And that's not saying that I don't like Jared Culver. I don't think that he can be a good player. But it's just the path for him to become a good player in the next you know, year, two years, three years on this team uh, it, it is filled with obstacles now. Right. And I, compl- last- I completely agree. Yeah, like last year was the year where it wasn't filled with obstacles. Like last year was the year where it was open road and, and it was sunny and you know it was it was easy traveling and and he managed to you know get stuck in a pothole. So uh, yeah, I I don't know where to go with him. But is there anything else you, you kind of want to get to before we wrap this up? It's a bit we're going going a bit shorter than usual, but it's I think it's been a good one. Yeah, no, I I mean the the main thing that that I wanted to to kind of hit too before we get to this is like um, in, in terms of stuff that we're looking for in the preseason games, um, what are kind of some storylines that, that you think uh, that you think are going to be important to follow? Yeah. Or well, think, I things think... that things for fans to watch uh, while they're watching the games. Yeah. Well, I think the um, kind of the ones that we've touched on a little bit for me is like obviously Culver we just spoke about I think the Ed Davis Nas Reed uh battle is is one that I'll be watching just these these are just in terms of I guess minute minute distribution and 
how the rotation's going to shake out. Um, one I mentioned earlier is how they use Towns, whether they... You, like We obviously haven't seen Towns and Russell play together much. I don't think they're going to use Towns as the the playmaker from the top of the key as much anymore, like they did when the Timberwolves had no other playmakers. Um, so I'm interested to see how the Towns-Russell dynamic works in terms of like where Towns gets the ball, where Towns starts possessions with the ball. Like, Is he going to be more of a pick-and-roll kind of player now, a pick-and-pop guy, or is he still going to get... Um, the bulk of his possessions, I guess, at the top of the key and allow him to work from there. And then um, and then the, the Rubio-Russell thing, which is, you know, played out by now, but, but still very interesting. I think that how much will they play together? What will it look like when they play together? Like, will they kind of be taking turns as the ball handler and, and one guy off the ball as a spot-up shooter? Will, will they try and turn Russell pretty much into a shooting guard when he's playing with Rubio and just have Rubio running the show and Russell as a as an off-ball maestro. Um, and yeah, that, that that's kind of the main things that stick out to me. What about you? Yeah, I think for me that the front court rotation is going to be really interesting. Um, n- not necessarily just Nas Reed and and Ed Davis, like you were saying, which, which I also completely agree with um, because, you know, it was clear that they wanted to give Nas some more run towards the end of last year. And they uh, like Nas. E- like, even, they really even with Cat, yeah. Like, and even really with Cat like being there. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And so I think his role and, and how he's used, I think, is going to be really interesting. Like, do they value his shooting enough to play him with Ed Davis? Like, or, or is he just going to be relegated again to the G League? Um, yeah. Just because, I mean, there's not a whole lot of teams that can play or that, that keep three centers on their roster uh, and, and play all three of them. So I, I think that that's going to be interesting. Um, and then two, I'm kind of interested to see, you know, what Jake Lehman's role is going to be because yeah. Jake Lehman was hurt for most of last year with that turf toe injury. That's just really tough to get rid of. Um, but when he played with cat, I mean, he is phenomenal. When you go back to his, his time in Portland, uh, you know, he was consistently above the 80, 85th, 90th percentile in cutting and is really smart, uh, really smart guys, great spatial awareness, understands, uh, you know, kind of where to be on the floor and when to cut and when to stay spaced out in the corners or on the wings. And so pl- having him play with two really, really good playmakers in either Rubio or Russell, and then also a good post playmaker in Towns, I think that, that Layman's is, Layman is really going to help cat not not necessarily right away as a shooter uh or, or chiefly as a shooter just because uh, you know i think he can shoot it but i don't think that's the best part of his game uh where i think he's going to help cat the most is cutting because the timberwolves just didn't really have a whole lot of guys that were really ne- willing to cut off of towns last year other than josh kogi and jake layman yeah. um and or, or guys that did it just weren't very confident, like Jarrett Culver. So I, I think kind of how Lehman plays in his role is going to be really interesting. And I think that'll kind of in turn tell us a lot more about the front court rotation and how that's going to be, because who knows? You know, maybe we could kind of see more of a positionless basketball from the Wolves when you use a guy like Jake Lehman more because he's a guy who is really smart on defense, both off ball and on the ball uh, is good on the help side and, and is, you know, can play different positions, whether it be the three or the four uh, on offense. So I I think it's going to be really interesting to see kind of 
the way they use some of those in-between guys and, and kind of what that'll tell us about kind of where they see each player at a, at a given, like what they think a certain player's position is, I think will be interesting. And, and just kind of seeing if that evolves at all over the year uh, based yeah. on kind of, excuse me, how it goes early on, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, that, that makes complete sense. And I think there's one more thing that, that uh, just came to me then, which I, I think is a thing that, that we all think and one that we thought for a while is I, I'm excited to see or intrigued to see what if Josh Atodian, uh, to a lesser extent, Jared Culver, can, can shoot any better at all. Like, I think that at some point we... It's hard to be worse. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, but, you know, at some point that Josh Cody could end up shooting 33, 34% from three. And, and all of a sudden that raises the ceiling of this team dramatically. And all those lineups that we spoke about, um, I think Cody is just a more, more of a chance to be in them. Um, especially the starting lineup. If he, if he comes out and can hit 34% from three for the first two or three weeks, or even if he, you know, misses, goes, you know, six from, from eight throughout the preseason on, on a kind of hot streak, like maybe that, is the the sign that Saunders needs to to guarantee him a starting spot. So just just the shooting from those two guys, the free throw shooting from Culver. Like I'd I'd be interested to see if he came out and hit seventy percent of his free throws in the preseason, um, or something like that. Like I think there's just a ton of interesting storylines to see in the preseason. But right, like the whole point of this kind of show has been, I think the rotation and how many minutes guys get, and, and like you said with Lehman, like. Um, what kind of lineup configurations they have him in? Like, I think that's clearly the the most interesting one of all. Right, and and going back to the Kogi versus Culver thing, uh, I obviously, I mean, it's pretty obvious that Josh has better shooting form than Jared does. Um, and in the yeah. videos that we've seen from Josh working with Lethal, Lethal Shooter this summer, um, I think that his shot form looks even better than it did last year, and it looks just quick and effortless and comfortable more than anything. And I think, it, you know, he's going to have a more confident shooting stroke. And I think that that's going to translate maybe not to being, you know, an average shooter or just short of that. But I think it's going to at least be a lot better than the 26.6% that he was from three last year. Um, yeah. And when you look at when you look at some of the guys who around the league who are, are kind of swing men that, that focus really at, at taking shots at the rim and from three. So kind of in this article that I wrote a few weeks back about Josh Kogi, I looked at guys who take 80% of their shots or at least 80% of their shots, either at the rim or from three um, there, there's a website called PB PBP stats.com, which is play by play stats. Um, and they have a great tool or a great stat called shot quality. Um, and essentially what it is, is it's expected effective field goal uh, percentage. And among guys who took at least 80% of their shots at, at the rim or from three, Josh had uh, the second highest difference between what his expected effective field goal percentage was based on the quality of shots that he took and his actual effective field goal percentage. So there was, a, there was essentially an eight-point differential, where his expected field goal percentage was right around uh, 56%. Uh, and his actual effective field goal percentage was at 48%. And so I think just by some simple regression to the mean there that, that Josh should shoot the ball better. Um, and I think it's important to acknowledge too with that metric that some of it has to do too with, 
defenses leaving you more open and that can lead to more open shots. But I think too, just within the flow of the offense, Josh Kogi got a lot of really open looks from three last year. And he's not like Culver where he seems hesitant to shoot or seems to be down on himself. Like Josh will shoot. Even when yeah. he's missed four for the game, like he's never exactly. been shy of getting the next one up. And I think that's important as as he grows as a shooter. Correct. And, and I think there, there's no question about the fact that, that Culver had some form of the yips or lost all confidence in himself. I think that I think that he was really battling himself for a decent amount of last season. Um, whereas I think Josh has always just been this calm, cool, collected, confident dude um, when it comes to his own abilities. Like you don't see him like pumping his chest, getting in people's faces, talking about how great he is. Um, but but I, I think he's an extremely confident guy. Yeah. Um, and I think, you know, with someone like D'Angelo Russell and, and Ricky Rubio, especially, they're going to say, hey, Josh, continue to shoot because they're going to see in practice that this guy is capable of making some of these shots and they're going to want him to, to see it translate on the floor uh, in the game. So so those are kind of the, the biggest reasons why I think Josh is going to going to shoot it better than Jarrett. But but overall, man, I'm just I'm just so excited to see this team back out on the floor um, after nine months. <laughs> It's crazy. I can't believe it's been nine months. Yeah. 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 If you would have told, if you would have told me in, in March that we wouldn't see Timberwolves basketball for another nine months, I would have, I don't know what would, (laughs) I don't know what would have happened, but man, I'm just, I'm just so excited that it's going to be back. And you know, the next time, next time we get on, we'll have some, we'll have some Wolves basketball to talk about. So yeah yeah can't wait um yeah we'll leave it at that thanks a lot jack as as usual it's um always a pleasure having a chat with you and and like you said next time we speak on the podcast uh hopefully we've we've had one or two preseason games and we've got some some answers to these questions and maybe we'll maybe we'll come back and revisit some of this lineup stuff and just get some preseason takeaways in a few weeks yeah no that 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 sounds great to me man um as always appreciate you having me uh, it's always a great time. I'm glad you're doing well and, and things are starting to ease up down there for you. Um, yeah, yeah. We're out of lockdown now and um, haven't had any cases for a while. So, um, yeah, things are looking pretty good here. Hopefully this this vaccine's coming in the States and can, can get you on the same path that we're on because, um, yeah, I've always got you guys in my thoughts and I know things are pretty... Pretty bad at the moment, but looks like we're the the light at the end of the tunnel is finally starting to, to grow a bit brighter. Th- th- thankfully, man, it's it's been it's been a battle for sure. <laughs> yeah. So. Well, um, yeah. Thanks for coming on, man. Um, I'll, I'll catch everyone else next week and um, go Wolves.